Well, it's our privilege now to uh, open the Word of God together and to hear from our Lord through His Word. And if you would open your book, your Bible, to Ephesians chapter 1, please. We will continue to look at this great epistle of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And as you know, we've been working our way down through this first section of this great chapter from verses 3 to 14. And we said, just to remind you, that in verse 3 is the beginning of this section. That verse 3 was like a spiritual treasure chest, which contains all the spiritual jewels that verse 4 through 14 would then reveal. Okay? For instance, if you look at verse 3, notice the general statement being made there that we bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has blessed us. Okay? Now notice that again to remind you who has blessed us, already blessed us. It's done, it's finished, it's complete. And the us, blessed us, coming down from verse 1, is the saints. Okay, the holy ones in God, the holy ones in Christ, those set apart by God for Himself. So then, all of the saints, each and every individual saint, each one equally has been blessed by God. Notice verse 3 continues with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Now, I'm just reminding us of how this section opens up. Every saint, individual, Lee, it has been blessed already with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Notice again, it's every spiritual blessing. So each and every saint has been blessed with each and every spiritual blessing. Okay? When it says every, it excludes none, includes all, right? So what God considers a spiritual blessing is already every saint's possession, now and forever, okay? Now and forever. As we said in our study from verses 3 through 14, the repetition of us, our, and we, 13 times that's, that's repeated. Also, the phrase in Christ or in Him, also 13 times from verses 3 through 14. So we said in our past studies and say here in reminder this morning that us who are in Christ... These incredible blessings are presently, permanently, equally ours. With no varying of degrees and no levels. There's no super saints. The moment you were converted, everything in that chapter was yours. Everything, right? So think of this then. From verses 4 through 14, the, each, the individual jewels that, were, that we've looked at already, and I remind you that every single saint, every person in Christ is equally, according to verse 4, chosen before the foundation of the world. Each saint is equally, verse 5, predestined unto adoption. Every saint, in verse 6, has had grace freely bestowed upon them. In verse 7, has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, has been forgiven of all their trespasses. In verse 8, every single saint has had grace lavished upon them. Every saint, in verse 9, has been illumined to the end purpose of all creation. 
in verse 13, every single saint, every single person in Christ has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 14, every single saint is indwelt by the Spirit who is the pledge or the promise of the future redemption. Every single one who is in Christ. So then we say redemption was begun by God before time and finished by God. Your salvation then is safe and secure in Christ. Chosen before time so that at the end of time you would be with God in a physical glorified body forever. And if you notice in verses 3 through 14, all those jewels that we mentioned, those are all things that God has done. Those are all things that are already done. They're not in process. It's set, secure, and finished. The question then arises. That's everything that God has done. The question arises, am I one of the us? That's the question that must be answered. Okay? How do I know if I'm one of the elect? How do I know if I am one of the predestined unto adoption? How do you know you're one of the redeemed? Do you feel it? I just sense it. No, that's crazy. Right? How, how do you know you're forgiven of all your trespasses? What is the evidence, the proof, or the sign that that is true of you? Is it, I just, I hope, I hope, but I can't really know? Or is there something that can give us assurance? And that brings us to our focus this morning. And I draw your attention to verse 13, and then I want to go to verse 15, and you're going to see the answer to the question, what is the evidence that one is the elect of the elect of God? Verse 13, notice, here you see our action. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also, what does your text say? Believed. believed. So listening, you heard it, and then you believed. Go to verse 15, please. For this reason, the Apostle Paul writes, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Well, there you have it. The evidence that you are of the elect is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You have faith in Christ. Not just a past act. It's a past act and it is a daily walk of faith, right? It is believed. So the question should be not have you believed, it's are you believing? Present tense, right now. Are you believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see what's being focused on here, the evidence that one is of the elect is are you believing? That is your personal response to the gospel. You see, when converted and ever since the day of conversion, you are believing. So we say it like this, we are saved by faith and we walk by faith. And Galatians 2.20 would say, we live by faith. Right? Today, then, we want to focus on the priority of personal faith in Jesus Christ as it is revealed in the New Testament. As crucial to our salvation, as crucial as sovereign election is, so too is our personal faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved without either one. What election does is guarantee that those whom he chose beforehand will come to faith. 
But you cannot be saved apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's the evidence that indeed you have been chosen by God. Now there might be special instances that have to do with the unborn and all of that. We're not going to get into that with a whole different subject. God's grace can cover a lot of things. Right? My personal beliefs, I'll just leave it there. We'll spend it on our attention here. Because right? um, I don't want to confuse the matter. The normal happening of things is that people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, so the priority of faith, then, according to the New Testament, it, it begins like this. It is, a, it is a faith, a believing, gifted to us by God at conversion that continues. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot dissipate. It cannot cease to exist because God gave it at conversion and it had a purpose. That is that you would reach glory. You see, so you cannot lose faith if you've ever had true faith. We have doubts and we have ups and downs. Lord, help my unbelief. And we have faith that's mixed with worldly doubt. None of us have a perfect faith, but we do possess a faith in Jesus Christ if you are a believer. Okay, so it's a gift at conversion by God. It perseveres. It cannot be destroyed. And so then after today, I want... God to bless us with a greater, even greater assurance that we possess this faith. And then that would just motivate us to praise His glory, to lay our life down for our King. That's what I hope. So then, to begin with, I, and we're going to look at, or at least I'm going to rifle through, I want to say hundreds of verses, but we won't. <laughs> but I'm, I want you to see, I really do, I'm sorry, it's just how it is today, Man, every, every day, I want you to know the Bible says something, not me. Okay? The priority of faith, I want you to see, we're going to listen to at least many verses to show you the breadth of this idea. Okay? And remember, it's one of our distinctive sola fide. Remember the five souls of the Reformation? Sola fide is Latin for faith alone. Okay? Salvation is by faith alone, and you're going to see why the Reformers came to that and why we believe that. So you can write these down, and some of these we will look at. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So that's one verse. Talks about faith, believing, right? How about John 20, 31? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I'm going to go through these fasts on purpose because I want you just to hear. Okay, you can follow if you want, but I want you to write, at least write them down because there's other verses I want to spend more attention on. Right now, I'm just showing you the breadth of how often the New Testament speaks about believing. John 3.16. And this is not exhaustive in any way. This is just cherry-picking on my part. John 20.31. Okay? 1 John 3.23. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. You're commanded to believe in Jesus Christ. Acts 16.30 and 31. The Philippian jailer. You remember? Yes. He said to Paul, What must I do? What? To be saved. Well, Paul broke out his list and said, Here, these 23 things, make sure you do them all. No. What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Right? 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For who? Those who help a lot of old ladies across the street. No, for who? For those who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It's faith. It's believing. Okay, uh, Romans 3.28 For we maintain that a man is justified, that means pardoned of sin, by faith, apart from works of the law. The emphasis, of course, is faith. Listen to Romans 4.5, if you would. But to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, obviously, that goes back to Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed God and was accredited to Him as righteousness. Do you know that salvation has always been by faith? It has never been by works. So don't confuse the old and the new. Abraham was saved by faith. He is the father of the faith, of the faithful, right? Romans 4 clearly says that. Faith is the emphasis, the priority of the Bible. It's the priority of the New Testament. Okay? Yes. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by what? Faith. faith. We have peace with God. Galatians, again, I'm cherry-picking, and some of these are so wonderful. Galatians 2.16. See if you can catch the emphasis of Paul here. See if you can catch the flavor of what Paul wants us to believe in Galatians 2.16. Listen, please. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus... Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. You think he has a point there? Yeah. <laughs> over and over and over in one verse. Justification is by faith. Salvation is by faith. Sola fide. Faith alone, apart from works. Okay? Believing. Listen to Galatians 3.26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then uh, in our book of Ephesians, chapter 2, famous Awana verse, right? 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through what? faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, the emphasis is faith. In Ephesians 3.17, listen to this, this is fascinating. He says here that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Ephesians 6.16, the armor of God. What is the shield called? Shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery darts of the devil. That shield consists of your personal trust in God. That's the faith that's being emphasized. There is other places where Scripture speaks of the faith. That's the body of doctrine that consists Christianity consists of. The faith, right? Fight for the faith. That's objective faith. The faith we just looked at and what we're emphasizing is my personal, subjective, trust, confidence in Jesus Christ. That's the faith that saves. Okay? It is your personal trust in the faith, if you will. The content, 
We have an object of our faith. It's always Jesus Christ. It's not just faith to have faith. It lands somewhere. That's why the faith informs us so that we place our faith on the subject and object of the faith, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? All right. Now, that's just a sampling. And I went through that as quick as I could (laughs) just to show you, and I hope you at least that repetition is in your mind to lay that foundation that this is about faith. The New Testament emphasizes faith. We see then that that's the emphasis of the Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture. It's therefore the priority of God, your personal faith. But it's also a main concern of the Apostle Paul's. If you would turn to 1 Thessalonians 3, I want you to see something here. 1 Thessalonians 3. It's the concern of the Apostle Paul for the young churches that God planted through him. He was not primarily concerned about their physical well-being. He wasn't even concerned of persecution necessarily, but he was concerned about their faith. In 1 Thessalonians 3, we'll just do 1 through 5. There's more to be said, but 1 through 5 should cover it. Look at what Paul writes here, please. Verse 1, Therefore, When we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Verse 2, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. For what purpose? To strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. Personal faith. Verse 3, So that result no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, Acts 16 and such, 17, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. So it came to pass, as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your what? Your faith. And what was behind it? Fear that the tempter, Satan, might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. All this to say, do you see what he's saying here? When they went to Thessalonica, proclaimed the gospel, and called them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they also warned them that this faith is going to bring about afflictions, suffering, and persecution. It is dangerous to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this world. That's what he says. That's part of his gospel, right? He didn't know easy beliefism with Paul, right? He understood the gospel of Jesus when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, He understood that and believed that, and we should too. That is the gospel. If you don't put that in the gospel yourself, you are deceiving people, right? It It is a hard road to follow Jesus Christ in a world that hates Him, okay? And Paul warned him, these Thessalonians, he goes away and he's worried about their faith because they're hearing that he's being persecuted, and they're they're starting to be persecuted, and he's worried, oh man, Is the persecution going to come and cause these people to shrink back in unbelief? So he writes to check on their faith, right? And later on in that chapter, look at verse 10, verse 3.10. As night and day, keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face. And to do what? Complete what is lacking in your faith, right? He wants to be with them to strengthen them in their personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that which will withstand all the affliction and persecutions that come against them. Amen? 
Where would Paul get such a passion for this? Go to Luke 22. Paul's pastoral concern for their faith is echoing but that of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shows that that's the concern he has for you and I. If, if Peter can be an example, and I think he can, a prototype of all of us, in Luke 22, this is our Lord Jesus Christ's concern. Notice his concern, please, in Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. So, Jesus speaks, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded, permission is in italicized, to sift you like wheat. Now, whatever sift you like wheat actually is, I think we can agree, can't we, that it's not a fun thing for Peter. Right? To be sifted by Satan in any way can't be too pleasurable. Right? But notice, Satan goes to Jesus and asks permission to do this to Peter. Just like Job, very consistent. The devil is under God. Right? All right. And as my pastor once said concerning this text, if I was Peter, I would have said, well, you told him no, right? <laughs> right? You said no, right? You can't have me. But look at what Jesus concerned him. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you. For what? That your faith may not what? Fail. Fail. Leave off. Dissipate. Do you see right there? Jesus' main concern is not Peter's physical well-being. It is his faith. It is his spiritual well-being. You see? Because we're all going to die someday unless, unless Jesus comes. Right? It's just, where are you going to go? And it's all related to your personal trust in Christ Jesus. Okay? Are you of the elect? It is your, is your eternal salvation secure? Are you believing in Jesus? Then you're of the elect. You see, but this is the, the priority of the New Testament is personal trust in Christ's faith. The concern of Paul in the Thessalonians was their faith. Jesus shows here his concern for Peter was his faith. And if you remember, Peter um, abandoned Christ and went fishing, and Jesus found him in John 21, and reinstated him, if you love me, three times. You remember all that? This is, this is what this is referring to, I believe, here. right? Because it says there at the end of verse 32, when you turn again, we, we come back, strengthen your brothers. Okay? Alright. Now, Jesus is praying for his personal faith to be sustained. Okay? That is the concern of Christ. Let me ask you this, just as a thought, and it's worth the whole message itself. What does God do in the life of a believer to strengthen or purify my personal faith? What does He bring into our lives? Trials. James 1, 1 Peter 1. It's all about faith being perfected, Right? It's all about faith being proven, tested and approved. Why is that significant to you? Because when you endure the trial and you walk away with this assurance that you trust in Christ, you know what? You're one of the elect. You're one of the elect. Apart from that, it's all wishful thinking. Until God proves to you that you are His. It's all wishful thinking. 
But he proves through trials and you persevering, you see. So that's First Peter 1, 2 through 5, or 5 through 7 and James 1, 2 through 5. Now, I'm moving fast here. That moves from priority to definition of faith. What is faith like? So that there, are, there are definitions for faith. And why is that important, especially today? That faith left undefined is somewhat mysterious, isn't it? All you have to do is watch enough sporting events, right? Just got to have faith, man. What's that mean? Just, just got to have faith. Believe what? Right? Um, it, it's like, it's like uh, some, some religions talk about the burning of the bosom, right? That's how you know you have faith. Well, I have faith about every Sunday night because my wife and I eat Mexican food a lot, you know, and I... <laughs> I must have a lot of faith on Sunday nights because burning of the bosom, you know, is that what faith is? Well, maybe not, right? You just got to believe, you know, you hear that. Or how about this? Have faith that this will happen. You just got to have faith that things will work out like some form of positive thinking that manipulates fate to work out the way you want it. Is that Christian faith? Is that what New Testament is emphasizing? Is this what Jesus was concerned about, Peter, to be positive thinking? No, of course not. So go to Hebrews 11, please. I have three verses, two at least, that I want to show as far as defining faith. Hebrews 11. Look at verse 1. Very famous passage on what is faith. Verse 1 says, Now faith is, my New American Standard says here, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay? So let's look at this just briefly and break it down a little bit. Faith is the assurance. The idea here, this interesting word, has to do with uh, substance of things hoped for. Now get this, things hoped for. That's future-oriented, is it not? Hope, why? You don't hope for things that happened in the past, and you don't hope for things that are in the present, right? Hope is something connected to a promise, future-oriented, okay? Hope has the idea of expectation, okay? In fact, a biblical good definition for hope is a confident expectation that w- which God has promised will come to be, Okay? It's not like, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope, like our kind of hope. But biblical hope is a confident expectation in God, in his promise. Okay, so look at this now. So if hope, things hope for, that's something's been promised. Faith is the assurance, or it actually means to put substance on something that is promised. In other words, it's living now as though that which is promised is tangible. I can see it. You see, that's faith. But it's informed by the Word of God. You don't make it up. It's it's informed by God, you see. So what faith, the assurance, the substance, is putting substance on things that that are hoped for. Because look at the second half of the verse. Further explaining what he means, he says in verse 1, the conviction or the proof of things what? Not seen. Do you see? Not seen is parallel with hope for. 
Conviction is parallel with assurance. So it is this, right? According to this, God has made a promise about something you cannot see. Faith puts flesh and blood or substance on it as though it's materialized right before your eyes. That's faith. Okay? Now, back up two verses. The last two verses of chapter 10. The writer says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. But we are not like those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have what? Faith to the persevering of the soul. And then verse 1 gave its definition. Plugging that back in, here you go. We live according to the promises of God as though they're right here before me and touchable. Okay? We don't shrink back to destruction, but we press on, believing that that which He's promised is actually here. And if you look there at verse 39 at the end, last phrase, but of those who have faith, to what? To the preservation of the soul. The faith that... That comes from verse 1 is this faith that guards and protects my soul. Because it doesn't die. It doesn't die. It, in fact, it cannot die. And we'll see later on why that's so, but I'll just say it's because it's from God. It's not you working really hard. Though we're accountable to have faith, it's a gift from God. Fascinating. All right. Well, if, if that one gets you fancy, you'll like this one. Romans 4. <laughs> Romans 4 is actually, I like this one better, is the definition of faith. Romans 4, and look at verse, uh, we'll put it into context here, uh, at least 20 and 21 and 22 perhaps. This is Abraham. Look at this here. Chapter 4 of Romans, verse 20. Talking about Sarah and the promise of Isaac having a son in the previous verses. Verse 20, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he, Abraham, did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Okay? So he's, he's giving glory to God for that which God has promised that hasn't even happened yet. Think about that. That's what faith is. You see, it's, it's God's made a promise and you believe, therefore, it's almost like it's already here. God made a promise to Abraham, you're going to have a son. Through an old woman's womb, my wife Sarah. She's beyond having kids, but she's going to have a kid a year from now. Abraham said, whoa, that's impossible. No, he believed and glorified God as though it had already happened because faith takes God at his word. Look at what it goes on to say, please, in verse 21. See what it says? And 21, being fully assured. Abraham was fully assured, confidence, that, look what it says, what God had, what? He was what? Able to perform. That's faith. That's my favorite verse on faith to me. God said it. I believe he has the power to perform it. And then you live today in light of that promise. That's what it means to believe, right? That's what it means to believe. Um, really a great illustration 
is found in Matthew. Go back to Matthew 8. I trust the Lord led me here the other day. I said, man, that's it. This is good stuff. (laughs) Matthew 8. I want to put it in its context, please. This is after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus leaves the mountain. He starts to teach. He starts to show His power, His authority. And you get to verse 5 and following. Look at what goes on here. And plug it in with with faith here. Verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, the north end of the Sea of Galilee, a centurion. Is a centurion a Jew or a Roman? Roman. This is a non-Jewish person. Came to him, the Jewish rabbi, Messiah, imploring him, saying in verse 6, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Look at his response in 8. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Look at the next verse. For I, look at, this is so glorious. Verse 9. The centurion says, I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. What's he saying in verse 9? My word dictates what these things do. What happens? Right? I have that authority, the centurion says. If I say this, it happens. I say this, it happens. He's comparing that to Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 10, Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Isn't it amazing that the Son of God can be astonished? He marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. This non-Jew soldier showed what he believed. That all you have to say is the word. He believed. That's faith. This is the faith of the New Testament. This is the faith of the New Testament. What is the nature of this true faith? As we study and look at this, it becomes clear. Okay, The verses we've already looked at. Listen, I went to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, English. What does it have under for faith? And here's some of these words. I love these words. Listen to this. Faith is synonymous with Allegiance, I like that word, loyalty, commitment, trust, confidence. That's describing the nature of faith. If you have faith, you are allegiant to. If you have faith, you are loyal to. If you have faith, you are committed to. If you have faith, you're trusting in. If you have faith, you have confidence in. It's obviously, it's all rooted on the message of confidence in God and what He has said. Yes? Think of this. According to uh, Hebrews 11.6, if you don't have faith, you can't please God. If you don't believe God like this, you cannot please Him. Hebrews 11.6. Right? So think of this. Synonymous words and actions that I think... We can connect to faith. If faith can be like a hub and you can see like a, like a, a, a wagon wheel, you know, and the spokes that come off of this wheel. What is some other spokes 
that can be used for faith other than the ones we just mentioned as far as allegiance and loyalty and commitment, trust, confidence? How about when the gospel and Jesus says, come to me? All you weary and heavy laden. How about John 6.35? I'm the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never thirst or hunger. You ain't coming if you don't believe. You ain't coming according to what he's promising. You see, unless you believe, unless you have faith. Not only that, how about this? Romans 10 says, how will they call on him whom they've not heard about? And how are they going to hear if you don't send a preacher? The one who calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. You're not calling on one you don't believe in. You see? So if you believe, you're going to come. If you believe, you're going to call on him. John 3.14, it uses the, uh, the numbers event of when Moses was told to put a bronze serpent on the pole and he lifted it up. How were those Israelites saved? From the poison in their vein. What did they do? They just looked. You know, they just looked, which is faith. Because the very next verse is, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, so whoever believes... That's being a, the, 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 the event of the numbers and the bronze serpent is being applied to Jesus Christ. And just as the Jews looked to what God said would cure them, so too Jesus hanging on a pole cures you. My dad said, I know I've shared this before, but he's on his deathbed. And I go there in a, a week before he died and I preach Jesus to him and I preach Christ. And he says, let me get, he talked like this, you know, and he says, let me get this straight. Right. You mean to tell me that a Jew hanging on a cross 2000 years ago is going to save my soul from hell? I said, yeah, you got it. He says, that's foolishness. I said, you got it. That's it. It is foolish until God changes you. Right. But you see this, this is what it means to believe Look on Him. Call on Him. Come to Him. You see? Or how about this? Do you think it takes faith to have somebody who's walking in your midst say to you, take up your cross and follow me? Or you're not one of my disciples. Oh, he can't mean that. That's too radical. Really? I, don't, I wouldn't bank on that. <laughs> Belief would do what? Take up their cross and follow Christ. Levi, in the, in the tax booth, what did Jesus say to him? I want you to think about this a minute, Levi. Right? Give us some contemplation, see if it's worthwhile. See if following me is better than sitting there in a tax, collecting taxes for the Romans. Right? No, he says, hey, you follow me. Boom, up he goes. Right? How did he do that? Did he not, if he doesn't believe, how do you do that? You don't do that. You would call him a nut. You're a crazy man. Get out of here. Crucify him. That's what you'd say. Crucify him. We follow him. Right? Isn't that glorious? Go to Matthew 10. Please, if you're in Matthew 8, go to Matthew 10. Because think about this as you're turning to Matthew 10. Can we truly say, beloved, we have faith in Christ and believe that he is the God-man, creator, sustainer, create, uh, crucified, risen, resurrected Lord and Savior? Can we truly say we believe that and not respond to him? And not come to Him, and not call on Him, and not look to Him, and not follow Him. Can we truly say we believe that message if we don't do that? I'm here to say no. How about love Him? How about love Him? Well, Matthew 10, look at verse 37. You think you can do 37 and 38 without faith? Look what it says. 
He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Can you imagine somebody preaching that to you? You say you're out of your mind, man, unless you're God. Right? Look what he says. He who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 38 would go on. And he who does not take up his cross. And that doesn't mean mother-in-law. That means a place of execution. Right? Might be your mother, but it's, it's a place of crucifixion. Right? What would the first century understand about cross? That's what Gentiles do to criminals. You can't even do that to Romans. You do that, you do that to non-Roman citizens. It's so horrific and so degrading, you can't even do it to a Roman. And yet Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Wow. He who's found his life will lose it, and he who's lost his life for my sake will find it. Do you see? If I don't believe, if I do not possess the faith that we've been looking at, I'm not going to do that. I'm not even going to give it a second glance. And to take up your cross, the exhortation is, is your love for me should allow you to suffer persecution. If you take up your cross, you're willing to suffer for the name of Christ because you love him. Wow. Let that soak in our easy beliefism world. That leads to evidence or signs of genuine faith. Evidence that you and I are of the elect is faith, and evidence then that we possess faith is some of the things we've already looked at, but there's three things I want to look at in particular. Um, it'd be worth going, if you would, to the right to Romans chapter 1. Okay, Romans chapter 1. And in verse 5, you will see faith mentioned there. And here's a sign, evidence that one possesses faith because faith produces this that's going to be mentioned in verse 5. Do you see it there, verse 5? Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about what? The obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. His missionary journeys, his apostolic calling was to bring the Gentiles to the obedience of faith. Obedience to who? To Christ, to God, to the gospel, to the word. Okay? So evidence then, according to this, obedience of faith. That is saying that faith is that which produces the obedience. If I believe, and that makes sense, doesn't it? If I believe Jesus is who He says He is in the Gospel, in the Scriptures, that He is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, does that not also say that I will obey Him? If I believe He's Lord of Lord, do I actually, do I actually believe that and walk away and say, No, I'm not following you. I'm going to do my own thing. Luke 6.46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do as I say? Amen? I really don't believe He's Lord if I don't have this disposition of submissive obedience to Him. I'm already born in disobedience. Ephesians 2, 3 will tell us that. Sons of disobedience. We're all born rebels to God. Why would we say that coming to Him in faith would not change my disposition towards Him? You see? It's not true. 
It's the deceitfulness of the modern day gospel. The non-lordship perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot call Him Lord and then walk away with no intent of obeying Him. Now we have to do a little segue because there's somebody out there going, oh man, perfect obedience. No, that's our goal. And we're not going to reach it until we see Jesus face to face. But your life has been changed if you've been get granted faith. And you're, one of the changes in your life is that now you have a disposition to believe and follow and obey Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Glorious. Glorious. Um, uh, that phrase in Romans 1.5 is also used in 16.25, I think it is, or 16.26, one or the other. Um, but the, John 3.36 Go to the left. It's worth seeing. John 3.36. I know you know this. John 3.36 says, He who believes, probably better said, He who's believing in the Son has eternal life. John 3.36. But he who does not, what does your text say when you get there? Sorry. Obey. Obey. Notice what's parallel. He who believes has life. But the one who does not obey does not have life, but the wrath of God abides, right? So synonymous here, believing and obeying, okay? Okay, um, listen to Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who what? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So evidence of those who are in the future kingdom of God is obedience to him. Now, not perfect obedience, because that's why we have 1 John 1, 9, right? Nobody, nobody gives perfect obedience, but it is the disposition, it is the direction of my life. I believe who He is, therefore I make decisions and I live in light of who He says He is. Amen? Amen. He is kurios. He is Lord. He's God. <laughs> And you're going to continue in disobedience as a nature, as a habit, while claiming to believe? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. You can write down, we won't look there for sake of time, but Hebrews 3, 16 through 18 mentions the same idea of faith and obedience when it references those who didn't enter the promised land okay, back in the Exodus. So you can just write that down, look it up for yourself, Hebrews 3, 16 through 18. So signs of true faith, we said here is obedience. Obedience to Christ, to God, to the gospel, to the word. Second sign that I believe New Testament reveals is good works. Good works, okay? Good works of service to Christ and to others. For instance, go to 1 Thessalonians, please. 1 Thessalonians to the right of where you were probably, to chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians 1. <laughs> I love hearing pages turning, Maximus. Right? This is a Bible-thumping outfit, real Bibles. I mean, the phone's okay, but I'm glad no one's going on their phone. If you are, forgive me, I don't mean to single you out, but... <laughs> Or maybe I do, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of evil that way. Um, verse Thessalonians, chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. He's, he's giving thanks for prayers. Verse 3, constantly bearing in mind your what? 
Work of faith, labor of love. But the work of faith is my focus. Okay? And just like obedience of faith back in Romans, here in Thessalonians you have work of faith. That is, faith that produces works. Okay? Faith that produces works. Um, do you remember Ephesians 2.10? We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works, which He prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You see? So good works is the product of the faith, of believing. You know what that says? True faith is not stagnant. True faith is not stale. True faith does not just sit there. True faith has an energy to it. True faith has a vibration to it. It's geared toward obedience. It's geared toward works. Isn't that what James says? James 2 Well, we have to go there quickly. Look at James 2, please. Probably the most famous passage on this idea of works, which Luther hated because he got it wrong. I hate to say that my hero got it wrong, but he did, which is good. It's good to uh, know that all men have clay feet. Only Jesus is perfect, right? So, James chapter 2, 14 through 26. I just want to highlight some things here, but this is so clear. Please get this. The faith that we're talking about produces good works. Look at verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says... Notice you've got profession and possession here. Someone says he has faith but has no works. Can that faith save him? Obviously, the implied answer is nada. Right? In a Russian, how do you say? Nyet. Something like that, right? Nyet. No, it cannot, right? I've been waiting all week to say that word. Right? <laughs> no, right? If a brother, look at 15. If a brother or sister is without clothing, destitute, and in need of daily food, those are real needs, by the way, okay, real needs. Verse 16, and one of you says to them, real spiritual-like, shalom. Go in peace, right? Be warmed. In fact, be filled, right? And yet, look at, the, look at what it says. And yet, do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Now stop right there. Do you see what he's emphasizing here? Is that your faith is useful to other people. What use is that? Your faith is not just for you to coddle my precious, you know, in your own little room, never getting out into people's lives, never working. That's not why God saved you. That's not why He gave you faith. It has an energy to it, man, and it works in obedience to Christ, and it works in good works. It's what it does. And the good works here, in this context, is emphasizing when you see someone in destitution, in desperate, real needs, and you are not moved to alleviate them, how is that faith even real? You see? Look at what it goes on to say in verse 17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is what? Dead. Dead. That means it's useless. It's a corpse. It's not from God. Because he goes on to say in verse 18, Someone may well say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Do you see what he's emphasizing there? I can tell you, right, I have faith. 
sit here just like this. I believe. And y'all go, wow, that's great. Right? <laughs> I guess we'll have to take his word for it. And then the other guy over here says, I believe. And he's busy alleviating destitution. He's doing works. Do you see what this, what, what the new, te- what James is saying is that that which cannot be seen is made visible by the actions that it does. My good works, according to James, is proof that I'm believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not merely professing. It's profession with works. It's prof- profession with possessing. You see? He goes on, please. Look at what it says in verse 19 and following. I'll go quickly here. You believe that God is one. That's great. <laughs> Demons also believe that. Now think about this. Demons have been in the presence of God before the fall. Because no, no more demons have been created since the initial creation. The demons mentioned here have been in the presence of God. They know who He is. They know who Christ is. He says here in verse 19, you believe that God is one. That's great. Demons also believe that. Okay? So at least you have demonic faith. <laughs> right? Verse 20 says, But, contrast, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You have a dead faith, a useless faith. What is this saying? This is our faith is alive and our faith is useful. Okay, keep going. He goes, this is worth the price of admission right here. Verse 21. <laughs> Was not Abraham our father justified... And I'll add a word there that's similar, vindicated by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. Is this not incredible? Do you see what he's saying here in verse 21? Abraham said he believed God. Remember, that's Genesis 15, 6. That's when Abraham was saved. He looked at the stars and believed what God said, that your descendants will outnumber the stars, and that your wife Sarah, aged Sarah, will have a son and call him Isaac. But if you watched Abraham's life, you might be challenged to think if he believed or not. This is my sister, <laughs> right? He kind of struggled a little bit sometimes. But look what this text is saying. In 21... The offering up of Isaac is found where in Genesis? Chapter 22. He was saved in chapter 15. Chapter 22, it says here in our text, he was justified by works when he offered up Isaac, not justified by works when he believed. You see, what's being justified is the declaration that he believes and that God has granted him righteousness. Because nothing was seen necessarily, right? But here is the evidence that he believes. Verse 22, you see that faith was working, just like we're saying. Faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Faith was matured. Verse 23, and scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. That's when he was saved. Now, I don't want to lose you here, please. And if I am, that's my bad. I pray not to. In this text, do you see what's being vindicated? Do you see what's being proven? Is the salvation of Abraham in 15.6 
is being proven by his act of obedience to offer Isaac in Genesis 22. So you see that works vindicates his faith. Because true faith works. That's what he says. Well, he goes further and gives even a greater example. Because can't you imagine the Jews saying, yeah, that's Abraham, man. He, we're one of his. Look who he goes to next. <laughs> Verse 25. In the same way. Same way as who? Same way as Abraham. <laughs> Was not Rahab. Rahab the who? Harlot. Can you say that in church? I guess so. Right? Rahab the harlot in the same way. Justified by how? By her works when she received the messengers. Do you see what it's saying? Proof that she believed was the works that she did. Proof that Abraham believed God's promise was that he was willing to offer his son, Isaac, in obedience. Hebrews 11 says further that he believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. Talk about faith. All right? Okay. Um... Mm-hmm. Go to Galatians, please. Galatians 5. So we have seen that the priority of faith, we've seen the, the, the signs of faith are obedience and good works. And this one also is worth a whole lot of discussion. We're just going to mention this here. But in Galatians 5, look at verse 5. The third evidence, sign of true faith, is love. Love. Look at verse 5 and 6 there of Galatians 5. He says, For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. That's second coming, future stuff. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision... Okay, those are, those are deeds of the law, Old Testament. So he says, neither, neither of those things means anything. But what matters is the last part of verse 6. But faith working through love. Faith working through love. Evidence that I believe truly, as the New Testament describes, is not only obedience to God and not only good works, but is love. If you have not love, how can you say you are believing in Christ? This is because faith produces this love. If, re, if you remember back in Ephesians 1.15, Paul says, For this reason, um, how does that go? Um, your faith, um, because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. That's repeated in Colossians 1.4 as well. And throughout the New Testament, coupled together, you see faith and love, faith and love, faith and love. Sometimes faith, hope and love, right? But faith and love are, are often together. Evidence that one possesses this faith we're talking about is love. Love for God, love for one another, love for neighbor, love for the lost, love in general, right? For instance... Let's go to 1 John, please. Um, 1 John, chapter 3, at least. Again, for edit some of these things, I have too much. Look at verse uh, 
I want to, well, we'll go in order, I guess. Look at chapter 3 and look at verse 23. This is His commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And then secondly, and love one another just as He commanded us. I think he's probably referring back to John 13, 34, and 35 most likely, right? They will know you are disciples of mine, how? By your love for one another. Love is the acid test, by the way, that one belongs to God. Okay? It is the acid test. Because if you go here, back up to verse... uh, We'll go to chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved... Let us love one another. How come? For love is from God. And everyone who loves is what? Born of God and knows God. To be born of God is to be born again. To be born again is to possess faith as well. I don't think, we don't need to trace that here. But if you're born again, you believe, right? Um, Notice the acid test here in verse 7, right? Love is from God. The one born of God is going to love. Look at the next verse 8. In case we weren't very clear, he'll clarify for us. The one who does not love doesn't know God. For God is love. Well, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in the way the New Testament portrays that you are committed, have allegiance and trust in Him, you know Him personally. And those who know Him will then have this nature, you see, And we will love. We will love. Love as Christ loves. Not as K-Love Radio tells us, but as God tells us. Lay down your life type of love. Christ on the cross kind of love. Take up your cross and follow me kind of love. Sacrificial love. Yes? This is what's being produced in you as a result of the work of God in you. You see, so evidence that we believe is that we obey him, good works, and we love. We love. We love our neighbor. We love whom he loves. We love the church. The church is foremost in our affections after God. Hmm. Look at John 3, verse 16 and 17, please. He gets real practical here and he says in verse 16, we know love by this. In case you were confused as to what love is, love is He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Is that just as clear as it can get? In the manner that Jesus laid His life down, I am to emulate. And I will emulate because I believe. You see? And look at verse 17. But whoever has the world's goods, stuff, and sees his brother in need, destitute, like James was saying, and closes his heart against him, look at the question that begs to be asked and answered, how does the love of God abide in him? Is that amazing? If we're not moved to alleviate true needs, true needs, how can we say the love of God abides in me? Right? Oh, but they might take advantage of us. Praise God. Yes, they probably will. Right? In fact, I hope they do. Right? We become vulnerable, do we not? Yes. We open up our lives to people in need and say, Hey, what you need I have here. And it's all motivated by a belief and a love in Christ for His glory. But they might rise up and take advantage. They might. 
They might, just as they did Jesus. But that's okay. Let them take advantage. This is the acid test. Love, love. Look at verse 19 of chapter 4, please. We love because He first loved us. We know that. So then His love is what motivates and pushes and initiates and leads us. Verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, John, tell us clearly, would you? Okay, he's a liar. (laughs) He's a liar, he says. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. How about that? Right? Wow. The acid test is love. The acid test is love, beloved. What is the source of this faith? Look at 4.15 real quick. 1 John 4.15, yes. Do you see what 15 says? Because now we're going light, speed of light, (laughs) to the source of true faith. What is the source of this faith? Look at 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, in He, in God. Okay? Go to 5.1. Whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is what? Born of God. So get this. Those who love are born from God. That's 4.7. Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ is born from God. The product, the fruit of regeneration, which is connected to our faith, our believing, is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. How did Peter come to know that? In Matthew 16. Remember when Jesus says, Who do the people say that I am? And some say this, and some say this, but then He says to Peter, But who do you say that I am? Remember His answer? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Well done, Peter. No, He says, Flesh and blood did not teach you that, but my Father who is in heaven. Divine revelation. That shows up in Matthew eleven twenty seven as well. No one can know, no one can come to know who you are except through me, and if I reveal them to reveal you to them. It's divine revelation. Okay? Now it's connected to the word of God, isn't it? Because Romans ten says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, word of God, word concerning Christ. So the Word of God is essential, crucial in the faith because it informs the faith. But it's the, it's the grace of God that puts faith into you to believe that in the first place. Almost finished. Go to Philippians 1, please. Philippians 1. Philippians 1, at the end of that chapter. Look, this is amazing here. 129. You're going to see two prongs here. Two, two-sided gift. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted, notice, has been granted, a gift of grace, for Christ's sake, not only to what? Believe, Believe in Him. Notice there's the object. But to suffer for His sake. This text is saying the two-pronged gift of God here in this text is not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but to suffer for His namesake. Right? We're just looking at the first side of that. To believe. To place my trust in Him is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Okay? 
And it's rooted in the Scripture. It's, it's, it's responding to the Gospel and the details about Christ and what He's promised that come out of the Gospel. And you hear it. And you believe. Somewhere in there, God gave you the faith to believe. And the evidence that you believe is obedience, good works, love. Evidence that you believe is that you come to Him, that you call on Him, that you look to Him, and that you take up your cross and follow Him. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful, right? It is beautiful. How about some one example? As you turn to Hebrews 11, please, and we'll close here. People's testimonies. This is why they're so encouraging. And, the, and different books and biographies of different peoples are so encouraging of believers, especially like Fox's Book of Martyrs. And, and those are just so encouraging. Some of my most favorite people that I've never met personally are in the pages of those books. But Hebrews 11 is like Scriptural's Hall of Faith, they call it, right? Look at a couple things here. 11.17... We already looked at this somewhat in James, and then we're going to look at Moses afterwards. But look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested. You see, faith is always tested, beloved. It's always tested because it's always tested and approved. Right? Look at what was the test offered up Isaac. And he who has received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Wow. Wow. Verse 18, it was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. So that's the promise from God through this son Isaac. And now he's offering this son Isaac. Verse 19, he, Abraham, considered that God is able, has the ability to what? Raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Isn't that cool? Talk about Strong faith and trust in what God had said. God said that your descendants will come through Isaac. And now I'm being commanded by God to put Isaac to death. Abraham's faith was, well, God can't break his promise. He must be going to raise Isaac from the dead. Wow, man. Nothing can deviate God's purpose and plan. That's glorious. That's glorious. Look at Moses, please, in verse 24. And following, look at what it says. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, what, what, it, what evidence was that he believed? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now stop right there. Was that a prominent place? Was that a place of opulence and, and position and glory? Yeah. He refused to stay in that position. Because of faith. We'll go on and look. 25. Instead of staying in that opulent position, he was willing, verse 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26. Considering, that's a word of thinking, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. I wonder where we would be in this. If we have true faith, I believe we'd be in the same place. 
And many of you have made these choices. Do you see that? This is to encourage and to strengthen in that faith. Here, considers the reproach of Christ in verse 26, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking where? To the reward. Reward is future. He believed what God said. Do you believe what God says in the gospel? Are you believing now as Abraham and as Moses? Well, it gets gooder, I think. Skip over to verse, oh my, 32. 11.32. Look at this. And we'll, we'll read this down. This is glorious. Verse 32 says, What more shall we say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson. Samson? Okay. Jephthah <laughs> of David and Samuel and the prophets. 33. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. Those are all incredible stuff. 34. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, man. God always wins, right? Well, hang on. <laughs> From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. By faith, people did this. Look at 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That's glorious stuff. But look at the rest of 35. By faith, I'll add, others were tortured, not accepting their release. Why would they not accept their release? Because they believed there was something greater. It goes on to say, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's faith. I'll quit torturing you and punishing you if you just compromise. Deviate off the path of faith a little bit. Not these people. Not these people. Look at 36. Those who believe, I'll add... Experienced mockings and scourgings. And yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. Not the way Mendocino County is. But they were stoned with rocks. They were sawn in two. <laughs> they were tempted and they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. And these are people of faith. 38. Notice, I love this parenthesis. These who are just mentioned are those whom the world was not worthy. Is that not a hearty amen? Wandering in deserts, mountains, caves, holes in the ground. All these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us, New Testament peoples, that apart from us they would not be made perfect. The point is this. Look at what faith. Here's people living out the faith we've been looking at. Right? This is, this is the evidence of their faith. This is the evidence and signs of true faith. Final thoughts. How about the thief on the cross? Talk about faith. Yeah? You're hanging there like this, and the guy next to you is talking about a kingdom. <laughs> Coming in his kingdom. And you're going, at first, right, they mocked him and made fun of him. But finally he said, Jesus, remember me when you come. Is that faith? He dies before he does. 
right? He's, he is believing that not only is he going to be, uh, not only is he going to die there, but he's going to be resurrected. And not only is he going to be resurrected, he's going to come to reign. That's what he believed. Okay? So then I ask this. Are you of the elect? Are you of the predestined? Do you believe? Are you believing? Are there evidences that you are believing? Such as obedience, good works, love, a willing to sacrifice for Christ. If we can answer in the affirmative, then we can be assured that we are of God's elect. And if we can be assured that we are God's elect, we're nine foot tall and bulletproof. Because you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be in His presence, glorified, set apart, in a resurrected, glorified body. And nothing can thwart the promises of God. Right? That's glorious. Your faith will not fail because God is praying for your faith to, to persevere. Your faith cannot be destroyed because it's a gift from God. Right? He gave it to you. He's perfecting it. He will bring you to the end. He who began the good work will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Right? So the bottom line is this, of course. Are you believing? If not, look to Jesus. Call on Jesus. Follow Jesus. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ now. And rejoice. He has been risen. So all his promises are yes. For those who believe. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word that lays it out for us. I pray you'll take my feeble offer and, and apply it to each of our hearts. And may no one leave this place as an unbeliever, Lord. May we all leave this place believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this for His glory. Amen.